Good morning, everyone. Man, what a wonderful morning it's already been, huh? Amazing, amazing. Uh, again, I just want to remind you all, if uh, we still have two other students who will be baptized in second service here, and if you would like to hear their testimonies, it will be placed on our YouTube channel later on this week, so feel free to check that out. Um, as awesome as it has been already, it's going to get even more awesome because we get time to just really focus in on the Word here. So with that being said, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn them to Luke chapter 6, and we're going to be in verses 46 to 49 this morning. Uh, feel free to use the Bibles in front of you if you do not have a Bible um, you know, or an app. Um, don't hesitate there. And if you don't have a Bible at home, uh, this is a gift from us to you. Take it home, uh, explore it, see what God is telling you and showing you through his word. And receive that Bible as a gift from FAC to you this morning. And our hope and prayer over these Bibles is this, is that every time you open it up, that you will grow in your knowledge and love for the Lord. As you're turning there, uh, there is an illustration that I read in one of the commentaries that I was reading for this passage this week that I would like to share with you all this morning. And I believe it helps capture the, the, the topic and the idea that we are going to be talking about today. So the story goes like this. There was a young Korean man uh, that traveled a great distance to visit the home of the missionary that led him to Christ. Uh, as he got to the missionary's home, he announced his reason for the visit. He didn't just show up and say, hey, like, I don't have no business here. No, he, he had a reason. And uh, he gets to the missionary's home and he announces, hey, I've been memorizing scripture. I've been memorizing Bible stories and Bible verses, and I want to share them with you. As a, as a missionary listened to this young man, this young man recited all of the Sermon on the Mount without an error. And the missionary, you know, commended this young man for this incredible feat. And, but the missionary will also caution this young man telling him, don't just memorize the scripture. As, as great as that is, don't just memorize it, but you have to practice them as well. To which the young man responded, oh, well, that is the way that I've learned this. I try to memorize them by myself just by simply opening up my Bible and reading it and then reviewing it over and over. I try to do that, but it just wouldn't stick. So, I came up with a plan. My plan is this, is that when I learn the verse, then I would do it. Then after that, I could remember. See, you see, this is an amazing story. This, this young man that we, that the story that we hear about, he embodied these defining factors of what a true disciple is. A true disciple, someone who comes to Jesus who hears his word and does them. In our time in Scripture this morning, we'll be looking at these defining factors of a disciple. And my prayer is this, is that in our time together, is that you will come to him. You will hear his word, and you will do what is it that he 
asks of you. So if you have your Bibles open, let's read this passage together. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. And the Word of God says this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Church, would you join me in a moment of prayer? Lord, we commit this time to you this morning. Lord, we simply ask that your spirit will lead us. Your spirit will reveal the inner parts of who we are and the need for you. And so, Jesus, we commit this time to you. Lord, would your word penetrate us this morning? We come before you. We commit this time. In your son Jesus' name, amen. So we'll jump right into our text this morning. And for us to know the tone, uh, for me, I love to understand tone. Is that because the tone that Jesus sets for us allows us to know just how important this is. So when we look at scripture, we will often visualize whenever we're in these settings where Jesus is teaching, we visualize that Jesus is talking to this giant crowd at all times. And again, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like we, like we see that he does address crowds on multiple occasions, big crowds on multiple occasions, specifically if we are looking at this uh, chapter, specifically in verse 17 and 19. And then also throughout his earthly ministry is that he's always surrounded by people. But for these particular teachings, verse 46 to 49 and above it, we see who Jesus is directly talking to in verse 20. Is that Jesus, he focuses on the 12. It is these 12 that we see that they, were, they will one day carry out the mission of the early church. You see, these teachings that we find in Luke 6, they're also very similar to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. And each topic, it pinpoints to a specific part of a person. And not only that, but most importantly, it doesn't just tackle the inner parts, but it also tells us how to live as Christ's followers. In a way, if we were to reflect back on it and we were to say, you know what, if you're not familiar with the vision of FAC, it is to build, equip, and mobilize. And we can say that in this moment, Jesus was building and equipping his disciples, saying, hey, this is how you are to conduct yourselves as my followers. And it translates to us today. So when we read these discourses of Jesus' teaching, there is a temptation to think this, though. 
It is a temptation for us to say, you know what? That was for the 12. I don't really need to know what is it that Jesus is talking about here. And to that, I will respond and I will quote from the late R.C. Sproul. What's wrong with you people? Who do we think we are that we are excluded from that which God demands of us? Obedience is what he calls for. If you are a Christ follower, these are the means to which you are to conduct yourselves. If Jesus said, then we must obey. Let's recognize that the moments that we do not obey, rarely is it out of ignorance, but more so the failure to recognize Jesus' lordship over all things. So what do I mean by this? Is that we don't obey because at the core of disobedience is a lack of trust and a sinful abundance of pride. When we are not willing to admit our lack of need, when we are not willing to follow the Lord's instructions, it reveals the depravity of our souls and the absolute need of Jesus to take control. You can recall moments in your life when you tried to do something yourself and you failed miserably. I mean, I can I can attest to that. Whenever, uh, whenever something's wrong with our vehicles, and I always try to go, "Yo, yeah, I can fix it." A lot of husbands and men in here, you guys know what I'm talking about. Is that you're like, "I got this," and then next thing you know, and after 18 runs to AutoZone or Advanced Auto Parts, you realize, "I don't got this." <laughs> Sometimes it's even frustrating and even lonely. You're like, "Man, like." It would be great to have someone here with me to help. You see, there's a point that I'm trying to make here is that Jesus is talking about lordship here. And this talk about lordship sets the tone for why he commands us to do the things that he calls us to do. In this section from Luke chapter 6, the beginning in verse 1 to 49 to the very end, is that all of this talks about lordship. Is that because I am the Lord, because I am over all things, because I have authority over all things, this is what I say and this is what you must do if you are to call yourself my disciple. R.T. France, author and Bible scholar, says this about this particular text, verse 46 to 49. Discipleship is a matter of following Jesus, and he claims authority equal to God. His lordship, Jesus' lordship, is to be recognized. It is to be admired. It is to be revered. It is to be worshipped. Now, when we're talking about things that God commands us to do, I understand that there are times where we must discern. I'm not going to avoid that. I'm not saying is that like, all, like if we hear something and then we automatically do it. I think there are times where we need to stop, press the brakes and say, we have to discern and ask the Lord for wisdom and guidance. 
And again, this isn't something new. The Apostle Paul, uh, not Apostle Paul, the Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 4 that we are to test the spirits. So I'm not excluding that responsibility from us as followers of Jesus. But what Jesus commands here in this particular text is, and the sum of his teachings is very countercultural at that time for their way of life. If you look back on this, is that Jesus is teaching to love your enemies. Something that was so, something that was, uh, was foreign to them. Last week we, we heard from Reverend Joel Repick and he talks about just what it meant and just how surprising it was when the hero of the story of the Good Samaritan, the hero of the story was the Samaritan. Someone that the crowd did not get along with. Here Jesus is saying to love your enemies, for example. Jesus is also saying do not judge, do not, and to to heed his words and warnings about fruit that grows when they obey Jesus or not. You see, all these things sets the tone for us. Jesus is saying my lordship is to be recognized. So the first, you can say the first defining factor is recognizing that Jesus is Lord. When we recognize Jesus is Lord, it leads us into these other defining factors of a disciple. We noted that Jesus starts this section of scripture with this, is that why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? I love that in verse 46 here, when you read it, it's that Jesus, he doesn't spare anyone. He jumps right into it. And if you could imagine, this is probably what was happening, is that the disciples were bickering amongst themselves over what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That you have to do this and do that. Probably saying something along the lines of, you know what, this is what it means because I've done it. And therefore, you all have to do it as well. Now, honestly, we don't know what the dialogue between verse 45 and verse 46 is, but it could either have been that Jesus heard what the disciples were saying or saw them not acting accordingly to his teachings. We don't know. But what we do know is this, is that in this text, we see that Jesus saw it and he doesn't ignore it, but rather he uses it as a moment to teach to build up his disciples. It is in verse 47 that we read that Jesus makes this statement to which we will be spending a good amount of time this morning dissecting these three actions. Jesus says this in verse 47, everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them to come to hear and to do. These actions flow into the defining factors of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It is simply this. Jesus is basically saying is that this is how you will know if you are my disciples. So we'll jump right into defining factor number one of a disciple is the first one. To come to Jesus. 
If you're asking how this looks like, there are three ways that I want to share with you this morning that you are able to come to Jesus. And our first one is in worship. You can come to Jesus through worship. And please note that worship is not, I'm not talking about just singing songs. One author by the name of Jamie Dunlop, he writes this, worship extends far beyond what goes on in a church building on a Sunday morning and certainly far beyond praise in the form of song. Another author uh, by the name of Dr. Tim Keller, he says this, he defines worship as obedient action motivated by the beauty of who God is. You see, here's the amazing thing about God and about the Lord is that he doesn't just simply leave us to figure it out ourselves. Worship, when we look in scripture, worship that is found in the New Testament, it calls for a variety of different things that we can use and that we can use for worship. For example, it calls for the reading of his word the listening and preaching and teaching of his word. And we'll talk a little bit more about this in a second. Uh, The sharing in the Lord's Supper and celebrating baptisms, which we did this morning, right? And, And these are just a few. So when we're talking about coming to Jesus, one of the ways is you come through Jesus, come to Jesus through worship. Another way that we can come to Jesus is through prayer. What is it about prayer, though? You see, the thing about prayer is that prayer, we come to him because we confess our dependence on the Lord. And not only that, but we give God his due glory. We have to see prayer as this. Prayer is like breathing to the human body. We must make prayer as much a part of our life as breathing is to it each day. When we look at the early church in the book of Acts, for example, they prayed. They prayed together. We look at other individuals in the New Testament, they prayed individually for certain people. But they made prayer a priority. If we say that, man, like, this is what the word of God is telling us to pray together. My encouragement is this. If you guys didn't know, we have a prayer, a, mo- a prayer service, a prayer moment in between services. I envision what would happen. What would happen if us as a church committed Every Sunday in between services, both first and second, and just simply committing, saying, Jesus, what do you want to do? Imagine what God would do. The last way that we are going to mention today how we can come to Jesus is through the fellowship of believers. Join in. Join in the church. Join in what is happening in the bride of Christ. I love how one author puts it is that if you are a disciple, there is no churchless disciple. 
You need to be part of the body. When we look in the text, verse 17, Lou records that it was a group of disciples that they were, that, that were also hearing the words of Jesus. You see, here's the thing is that we must combat the thought in today's age that we can make it on our own. You see, there's a reason why Jesus created the church and caused the church to come to him in worship, prayer, and fellowship because he knows. He knows that there's value there. So those are just three of many ways that we can come to Jesus. And this is our first defining factor of a disciple is to come to him. Our second defining factor number two of a disciple is to hear him. As a disciple, Jesus tells us that we have to hear his word. So what does, it, what does this hearing Jesus look like for a disciple? You see, hearing his words doesn't just simply mean that you warm a seat for an hour on Sunday morning. To hear his words calls for us to practice these two disciplines of hearing. The first discipline is a discipline of listening. So what do we mean? What do I mean by this discipline of hearing or this discipline of listening? This discipline of listening calls for us to be attentive. It calls for us to be aware. In a world where we hear billions of words spoken in a day through news outlets, through TV, papers, radio, social media, whatever it is, it takes discipline to actually listen, to block out the noise and hear the Lord. To block out the noise and hear him speak. I love how one Bible scholar uses, he uses this illustration of how people act when listening to a flight attendant. And he uses this illustration and he says that this is how church attenders are like sometimes. Is that they totally tune out. Now, if you've been on a flight before, is that you know, this, you, you know the drill. Is that you get in, you take your seat, and then once everybody is seated, the flight attendant goes up there and they talk to you about the safety and the emergency precautions and the emergency uh, procedures, right? And if you just take a look around, is that as soon as they start talking, is that you'll see the headphones go on. You'll see the, 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 the magazine open up. You'll see the iPad, the games going. You'll see all that. You know, I, I, when I was reading that illustration, I, I chuckled and I laughed. And then I was like, you know what? Because I'm guilty of that. I've done that before. But here's the thing is that what does the flight attendant tell us? In the middle of an emergency, she goes, she reminds us or she or he reminds us that you have to first put your mask on before you can help somebody else. You have to make sure that this happens. You see, it's a matter of survival when things go south on a plane ride. But yet how quick are we to put on our headphones? How quick are we to 
open up our magazines? How quick are we to turn on that game on the iPad? If you resonate with this, my, my two simple words is wake up. Practice listening. There are practical things that we can do to help us listen, such as taking notes. I mean, praise the Lord is that the Lord has given us a, a, a great technology where we can record sermons and refer back to them. But I think about even what if we didn't have that? What would be the thing that keeps us listening? Practice. When we talk about hearing, there's also a discipline of reflection that falls under that. The discipline of reflection, we have to add onto our tool belt. And I think that reflecting is a lot harder than we think, especially in a fast-paced world that we live in. You see, we don't need to reflect, honestly. You see, we have, the, we have access to so many information, to so much information and so many solutions out there that we don't have the pressure of reflecting. Why should I think about this solution if someone so already figured out for me? But to hear the Lord's word calls for us to reflect. And there's one particular thing about the Lord that I, I believe that once we start reflecting on it, it will keep us humble. It will keep us aligned. And that is this, is that reflecting on the Lord's mercy. Again, mercy is not getting what we deserve. When's the last time that you sat and simply asked the Lord to reveal the areas of mercy that he's extended to you. When's the last time that you've asked the Lord to show you what is it that he is doing in you and for you? In order for us to answer that question, we have to practice the discipline of reflection. Our last defining factor of a disciple is to do. And as we get into our last defining factor, I, I would hold this position that this final factor is the most important. It is, you can argue, it is the defining factor of what a disciple of Jesus is is that they obey his commands. And I love at the end of verse 47, there are just simply three words, and does them. I recall as a teenager, I got, the, I got into this argument with my dad. And it was a pretty bad argument. Um, and being a teenager, I said some pretty hurtful things. And I, we won't go into details into what I said, because one, I want to still work here. And then secondly, is that... Um, I, 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 I want, this is a redemption story in a way. Um, so long story short is that after this argument I had with my dad, I, I felt horrible. I was like, I was like, man, I'm still pouting. I'm still walking around. I'm still like, man, ugh. After an hour or so, I, I sensed the Lord was stirring in my heart is this is simply, you got to go and apologize and ask forgiveness from your dad. And I was like, Psh. 
And it was a struggle. It was weird. It was awkward because here I, here, here I am at my peak age of 17, and I know everything that there is to know about life. And I'm going to my dad to ask for his forgiveness. What does he know about forgiveness, right? Uh, but I knew that this is what Jesus was telling me to do. So I remember going up to him and, and telling my dad, and I remember it was in our back porch, and it was at nighttime. And I went up to my dad, I kind of like, you know, kicking the, kicking dirt around. And then I, I remember sitting and I said, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry what I said. It, it wasn't right. It was mean. And it wasn't okay for me to say those things. I remember asking my dad for forgiveness. And I remember my dad saying, and Mong, he simply said this, is that it's okay, don't worry about it. And that was his way of saying, I forgive you. Now, I remember the buildup to that conversation was immense. I was, I was kicking and screaming. But I remember leaving that conversation, feeling free from guilt, from shame, from embarrassment. And most importantly, and I would say this is the most important thing, is that I was reminded that I am loved. Here's the thing. The action of do comes very hard for us. It's not easy. I'll admit that. But it is necessary. It needs to be done. If someone tells you this, if someone tells you that you don't need to do what Jesus has asked you to do, I will just simply say this, run from that person. You see, there is no safer place to be in life in the world than in the center of what Jesus wants you to do. It will be uncomfortable. It will be frustrating. It will be painful. But it will be good. And the thing is that it is good. There's a temptation as well in this when we are called to do something is that if it's not grand, if it's not something in front of people, if it's not something that is of grand nature, then we don't really have to do it. You see, sometimes Jesus is simply asking the very simple thing of you saying, uh, of you, hey, show up on time. You're like, no. For us, it says, you know, it's something that we can like just pass by. But for Jesus, if he's stirring in your heart saying, you know what, show up on time. Okay. Imagine what that would do. What if it was something as, what if it was something like, hey, stop saying those bad words because they don't reflect me. And you're like, Jesus, do you know what type of environment I work in? Like we, we, we say those things, but here's the thing is that if Jesus is telling us to do that, then we should. If he's telling you to forgive someone, do it. If he's telling you to give more of your time, your resources, whatever it may be, do it. If he's telling you also to step out in faith, to trust that he is moving and that he is in control, do it. Here's the thing, don't procrastinate because we as human beings we will forget. We come to the end of the study of our word this morning. 
And let's be reminded that what Jesus is telling his disciples here and us today is that these are the important things that defines what a Christ follower is. Is that one, you come to him. Whether it's through worship, prayer, or the fellowship of believers. Second, you come to hear him. Practice the discipline of listening and reflecting. And the third, you obey him. You do what is it that he asks of you. At the end of this section of scripture, Jesus uses this parable of the two builders. And I'll read that for us here. Verse 48 starting, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. One builder who builds it on a firm foundation, solid foundation. The other who builds without a foundation. If you are someone that says, I think I'm builder number one, praise the Lord. Continue to have your foundation set on him. If you find that you're a builder number two, someone who doesn't do what the Lord commands, I plead with you to trade in your pride in yourself and submit it to the Lord's command. You see, here's the thing is that when we look at that foundational piece is that we can pretend. We can pretend to be disciples. We can look like it. We can, we can, we can make ourselves, make our life look like we are a disciple of Christ. But when it comes down to the very end, it sweeps us away. Hurt, pain, pressure. Here's the thing about this parable, and I I love how this one pastor puts it, is that this parable, as encouraging as it is to realize and to reflect that this is something that's good, this is one thing is that he says this, is that it has eternal consequences. This parable is not only encouragement for your life when things go south. It is a foreshadow of what will come when Christ returns. And David Platt, he writes this. We must hear Jesus. When he says that there is a storm coming, he's not talking about what we so often identify as the storms of life. Now, those storms are real and they are painful. Storms like cancer, divorce, and losing a loved one. And the Bible certainly addresses them. However, Jesus is referring to a cataclysmic reality, a final and utterly devastating storm of the future judgment of God. It may be tonight or it may be 10,000 years from now. We don't know, but it will come. And Jesus reminds us that it doesn't matter how we've propped up our houses or how we've fixed up or what other people think of it, unless that house is founded upon the rock who is Jesus, its fall will be stunning. Church, this morning we celebrated three baptisms. We're going to celebrate two more in a a few minutes here. Church, we have a responsibility in all of this as disciples to walk alongside with 
these disciples. We have a responsibility to keep them accountable, to say, you know what? Let's continue to go to Jesus. Let's continue to hear his word. And let's continue to walk alongside them as they do what Jesus commands them to do. So let's do that moving forward. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning. Lord, celebrating the amazing things that you have done. And Lord, as we reflect on that, Lord, may that spur us on. May that encourage us. And Lord, would you help us learn what it means to be a disciple? Continue to help us to learn. Continue to help us grow. Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to fall. Help us continually to come to you, to hear you, and to do what is it that you have called us to do as disciples. Lord, we come before you and we confess our love and our our utter need for you this morning. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.